Abbott and Costello are one of the greatest comedy teams in the history of show business. They mastered the straight man-clown relationship, creating a magical chemistry that would take them from the burlesque stage to radio to Broadway to film and finally to television. Abbott and Costello first appeared on stage together in New York in 1935, and they were the biggest box office draws of their time. And there's one film that really stands out, especially this time of year, and that is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, celebrating its 75th anniversary. And to talk about this legendary comedy team and this iconic horror comedy film is the daughter of Luke Costello. Hey, Chris, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. It's really good to be with you guys. I had the pleasure of sitting with you and your sister at the Radio Hall of Fame. Was that the one in Chicago? That was the one in Chicago. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. It was a while ago. It was a while ago. Now, you know, I know, and I don't know how many people really know this, but your dad was so very young when he when he passed away at the age of 52 and you were just 11 years old and so i know you don't mm-hmm. know a lot of the stories firsthand but you wrote a great book i know you've done so much research on your dad and his legacy it was lose on first was the name of the book but tell me a little bit about your dad you know growing up in new jersey like his early days well a lot of first of all a lot of that information you know um i always got from you know his his mother my grandmother uh, you know, the relatives in the family and also himself, because uh, even though I only had him for 11 years, boy, there are so many memories attached within those 11 years, which I would say I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I feel blessed. Uh, but his early years in Patterson, my grandma, I remember her sitting at the table, you know, with a cup of coffee and talking, just reminiscing. And she would say that he was always very, very comical, even as a kid. Uh, he would do funny things like um, ride the banister from the top floor down to the lower floor uh, backwards. And then she would be screaming, you're going to break your head. And he would all of a sudden just do a somersault and land on a seat. Um, she said that uh, uh, he loved Charlie Chaplin. That was his idol. I think Charlie Chaplin was really the motivating force within Dad to want to become not a comic, but an actor. So he always associated Chaplin more as an actor. And she said, I remember at the Armory, which is where he also played his basketball, uh, they were having a Halloween contest, and he dressed himself up like Chaplin. She said, I had no idea that he was going to be coming as Chaplin, but I was in the audience, and, you know, I saw them announce his name because it was a contest, and down the aisle comes this 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 person that looks just like Chaplin. He had the moves. He was twirling the cane. He was doing all the, the the side you know stuff. And she said it was only when they announced him as the winner, and he finally said who he was. She said, "I almost fell off the chair." That's awesome. Um, That's so awesome. he just really he always had that ability in him. I think it's something he was never he trained in. It was just a natural instinctive ability he had. But she would also tell, like, when he was um, with the Armory Five, uh, he played like a Harlem Globetrotter because he was so short, and he would be bouncing the ball and literally going between the legs of the opponents and uh, wow. doing these, these twirls, and he could shoot a perfect basket. You know, I get a lot of, you know, the um, Facebook, people will ask me, you know, did he ever get bruised up when he was working? And I would say no. I mean, he really knew how to use his body. He knew how to use it very well, but also... You know, there was um, sound effects that were also put into, you know, uh, to make it appear even more real. But um, he was just very agile with his body, you know, very agile. Uh, I can remember at the ranch, my God, he would, you know, come in from the studio. And, and one of his, his things he liked to do, I can, I'll never forget this, 
He would change into like a pair of shorts and in a pool top. He'd have a baseball cap on. He'd go to the refrigerator. He'd get a piece of Swiss cheese, get some crackers, start walking down towards the barn where he had a, a hoop, you know, a basketball hoop. Mm-hmm. And he would get a ball and he would just, you know, um, dribble that ball. And all of a sudden he would turn and throw it over his head. And I swear to God, it went into the basket. <laughs> um, amazing. He, he was, well, and here come the coets, his, his uh, film with um, that one piggy lion. Uh, he, all of the baskets are shot. That are being shot off camera. That's him. Oh wow! That was not. Yeah, he was doing all of those shots. I think the first stunt work was on a horse, and they said, "Do you know how to ride?" My sister can tell the story of. I guess the horse took off, and his saddle, which was not on secure, I guess it rotated on the <laughs> horse, so he was literally riding on the side of a horse. Oh, and he stayed oh on. So. Uh, <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, it's it's so cool, you know, as you talk about this in his early days trying to make it, you know, he finally paired up with Bud Abbott in in 1935 at, at New York's uh, Elton Burlesque Theater. So that was the first time they kind of performed together. They met. They were both performing there at the same time. But their official teaming, I know, was in 36, uh, where they started touring and, 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 and getting on the air. And I know Kate Smith's Radio Hour was that first really big break for them, was appearing on that right. show and doing Who's On First. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it was sort of a ploy with Dad that um, he really had so much faith in, in, in this routine. And um, I believe it was Ted Collins, the producer, who, first of all, said to him, one of you has got to start altering the voice because with the radio audience, they can only hear. They can't see who's who. True. And so that's when Dad, of course, started to raise his voice, doing the little boy uh, sort of uh, uh, register, uh, I'm a bad boy was calling, stuff like that. Uh, and the Hay Abbott, but um, they really wanted to put Who's On First on the air, and Ted Collins uh, wouldn't let them. He said, it's, it's just, it's too visual a piece. It's not going to go. It's not going to fly. <laughs> and so Dad had said to um, Ted Collins, he said, and this was right before going on the air, he said, well, we've exhausted all of the routines, and he said, you know, uh, we're just not going to be able to go on tonight. We have, no, we have no material, and Ted Collins got so nervous. Just get out there and do something, and they did. And that's what launched him into Hollywood. Let's take a listen. Now, you got to tell me the names of the fellows on the team, so when I, I want to say hello well, to them. I told you before, Lou, they all have very strange names. All right, now who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The first base. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? Why do you keep asking me? I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. I'm asking you who's on first. That's right. Go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. <laughs> that's the man's name. Now, look, when you pay off the first base every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. And why not? After all, the man's entitled to it. Who's entitled to it? Certainly. Who gets the money? Every dollar. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. So they signed to Universal in 1939. They were really the new kings of, of comedy. Solid, you know, decade of box office hits. They essentially saved Universal Pictures at the time. I mean, they were a struggling company. Yeah, they were. Well, it was a B studio back then. It wasn't uh, what it is today. Um, in fact, Universal was a studio that Louis B. Mayer used to threaten to loan his stars to if they got out of line. But uh, it's true. Dad and Bud did save Universal. They they definitely uh, took them you know, up a few notches. But then after... The era of Abbott and Costello, it was also um, Donald O'Connor with Francis the Talking Mule, you know, that helped to uh, keep the, the studio going. 
But at some point, they well, they offered your dad the opportunity, these guys, to, to buy the studios at that point because they were yeah. they were making a lot of money. I know they were making like 10% of the gross, which was kind of unheard of at the time. I mean, wow. they, were, they were making big yeah. money. They were. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know if a lot of that was just sort of a, a, a little bit of a story that became a rumor. Uh, I could never find anything that really leaned towards the fact that, yes, Universal had, in fact, offered the, the studio to Abbott and Costello. Um, uh, you know, Dad, I, I, if he had listened, I think, to his father, my grandfather, and maybe even my mother, who was a Scot, um, he probably he would get into these investments. Oh, my Lord. But he also was very charitable. And I, and I know you were talking about This Is Your Life. This is a, a show that, that was airing in the 50s and 60s where they would bring somebody out and they would really kind of walk you through. And your mom would be there and the family and every, everybody who touched your life in some way. And you talked about him playing basketball at the Armory with the Armory 5. They were all there. But it was all about him also giving back to the community. I mean, your dad was a very charitable guy. He, you know, there was an expression I often heard and people would refer to him as having what is it? Long arms, short pockets. Um, he was always like that. You know, even my grandmother said it as a kid. He was always like uh, doing something for the orphanage kids. You know, uh, he, he that was just who he was. But I also heard stories from uh, people who have written me over the years saying, I remember as a kid, your dad in Omaha, Nebraska during the war bond tour. And, and a friend of mine said he didn't have any money, but if there was any way he could come to his house, you know, and dad and bud would go to the kid's house and in the backyard perform for free, wow. you know, for, for these people. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that's the image that I, I like promoting of my dad because that's really who he was. This wasn't somebody who was doing it for the press. He did it because he genuinely loved people. We are talking to Chris Costello, daughter of Lou Costello, on the 75th anniversary of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein and the legacy of this iconic comedy team. Abbott and Costello are one of the greatest comedy teams in the history of show business. They mastered the straight man-clown relationship, creating a magical chemistry that would take them from the burlesque stage to radio to Broadway to film and finally to television. Abbott and Costello first appeared on stage together in New York in 1935, and they were the biggest box office draws of their time. And there's one film that really stands out, especially this time of year, and that is Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, celebrating its 75th anniversary. And to talk about this legendary comedy team and this iconic horror comedy film is the daughter of Lou Costello. Hey, Chris, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. It's really good to be with you guys. I had the pleasure of sitting with you and your sister at the Radio Hall of Fame. Was oh, that the one in Chicago? That was the one in Chicago. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. It was, okay. It was a while ago. It was a while ago. Now, you know, I know, and I don't know how many people really know this, but your dad was so very young when he when he passed away at the age of 52, and you were just 11 years old. And so I know you don't mm-hmm. know a lot of the stories firsthand, but you wrote a great book. I know you've done so much research on your dad and his legacy. It was Lose on First was the name of the book. But tell me a little bit about your dad, you know, growing up in New Jersey, like his early days. Well, a lot of, first of all, a lot of that information, you know, um, I always got from, you know, his, his mother, my grandmother, uh, you know, the relatives in the family, and also himself, because even though I only had him for 11 years, boy, there are so many memories attached within those 11 years, which I would say I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I feel blessed. Uh, but his early years in Patterson, my grandma, I remember her sitting at the table, you know, with a cup of coffee 
and talking, just reminiscing. And she would say that he was always very, very comical, even as a kid. Uh, he would do funny things like um, ride the banister from the top floor down to the lower floor uh, backwards. And then she would be screaming, you're going to break your head. And he would all of a sudden just do a somersault and land on a seat. Um, she said that uh, uh, he loved Charlie Chaplin. That was his idol. I think Charlie Chaplin was really the motivating force within Dad to want to become not a comic, but an actor. So he always associated Chaplin more as an actor. And she said, I remember at the Armory, which is where he also played his basketball, uh, they were having a Halloween contest, and he dressed himself up like Chaplin. She said, I had no idea that he was going to be coming as Chaplin, but I was in the audience, and, you know, I saw them announce his name because it was a contest, and down the aisle comes this, this, this person that looks just like Chaplin. He had the moves. He was twirling the cane. He was doing all the, the, the side, you know, stuff. And she said it was only when they announced him as the winner, and he finally said who he was. She said, I almost fell off the chair. That's awesome. Um, That's so awesome. he just really, he always had that ability in him. I think it's something he was never he trained in. It was just a natural instinctive ability he had. But she would also tell, like, when he was um, with the Armory Five, uh, he played like a Harlem Globetrotter because he was so short, and he would be bouncing the ball and literally going between the legs of the opponents and uh, wow. doing these, these twirls, and he could shoot a perfect basket. You know, I get a lot of, you know, the um, Facebook people will ask me, you know, did he ever get bruised up when he was working? And I would say no. I mean, he really knew how to use his body. He knew how to use it very well, but also... You know, there was um, sound effects that were also put into, you know, uh, to make it appear even more real. But um, he was just very agile with his body, you know, very agile. Uh, I can remember at the ranch, my God, he would, you know, come in from the studio. And, and one of his, his things he liked to do, I can I'll never forget this, he would change into like a pair of shorts and, and a pool top. He'd have a baseball cap on. He'd go to the refrigerator. He'd get a piece of Swiss cheese get some crackers, start walking down towards the barn where he had a, a hoop, you know, a basketball hoop, mm -hmm. and he would get a ball and he would just, you know, um, dribble that ball, and all of a sudden he would turn and throw it over his head, and I swear to God, it went into the basket. <laughs> um, amazing. He, he was, well, and here come the coets, his, his uh, film with um, that one, Peggy Ryan. Uh, all of the baskets are, shot, are being shot off camera, that's him. Oh, wow. That was not, yeah, he was doing all of those shots. I think the first stunt work was on a horse, and they said, do you know how to ride? My sister can tell the story of, I guess the horse took off, and his saddle, which was not on secure, I guess it rotated on the <laughs> horse, so he was literally riding on the side of a horse, oh, and he stayed oh, on. So, uh... <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, it's, it's so cool, you know, as you talk about this in his early days trying to make it, you know, he finally paired up with Bud Abbott in, in 1935 at, at New York's uh, Elton Burlesque Theater. So that was the first time they kind of performed together. They met. They were both performing there at the same time. But their official teaming, I know, was in 36, uh, where they started touring and, 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 and getting on the air. And I know Kate Smith's Radio Hour was that first really big break for them, was appearing on that right. show and doing Who's On First. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it was sort of a ploy with Dad that um, he really had so much faith in, in, in this routine. And um, I believe it was Ted Collins, the producer, who 
first of all, said to him, one of you has got to start altering the voice because with the radio audience, they can only hear, they can't see who's who. True. And so that's when Dad, of course, started to raise his voice, doing the little boy uh, sort of uh, uh, register, uh, I'm a bad boy was calling, stuff like that, uh, and the Hey Abbott. But um, they really wanted to put who's on first on the air, and Ted Collins uh, wouldn't let them. He said, it's, it's just, it's too visual a piece, it's not going to go, it's not going to fly. <laughs> and so Dad had said to um, Ted Collins, he said, and this was right before going on the air, he said, well... We've exhausted all of the routines, and he said, you know, uh, we're just not going to be able to go on tonight. We have, no, we have no material, and Ted Collins got so nervous. Just get out there and do something, and they did, and that's what launched him into Hollywood. Let's take a listen. Now, you got to tell me the names of the fellows on the team, so when I, I want to say hello well, to them. I told you before, Lou, they all have very strange names. All right, now who's on first? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The first baseman. Who? The guy playing first. Who is on first? Why do you keep asking me? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. I'm asking you who's on first. That's right. Go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first <laughs> That's the man's name. Now, look, when you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. <laughs> Why not? After all, the man's entitled to it. Who's entitled to it? Certainly. <laughs> well, who gets the money? Every dollar. Sometimes his wife comes down and collects it. Whose wife? Yes. <laughs> So they signed to Universal in 1939. They were really the new kings of of comedy. Solid, you know, decade of box office hits. They essentially saved Universal Pictures at the time. I mean, they were a struggling company. Yeah, they were. Well, it was a B studio back then. It wasn't uh, uh, what it is today. Um, in fact, Universal was a studio that Louis B. Mayer used to threaten to loan his stars to if they got out of line. But uh, it's true that Dad and Bud did save Universal. They they definitely uh, took them, you know, up a few notches. But then after the era of Abbott and Costello, it was also um, Donald O'Connor with Francis the Talking Mule, you know, that helped to uh, keep the, the studio going. But at some point, they well, they offered your dad the opportunity, these guys, to, to buy the studios at that point, because they, yeah. they were making a lot of money. I know they were making like 10% of the gross, which was kind of unheard of at the time. I mean, well, they, were, they were making big yeah. money. They were. And, uh, you know, again, I don't know if a lot of that was just sort of a, a, a little bit of a story that became a rumor. Uh, I could never find anything that really leaned towards the fact that, yes, Universal had, in fact, offered the, the studio to Abbott and Costello. Um, uh, you know, Dad, I, I, if he had listened, I think, to his father, my grandfather, and maybe even my mother, who was a Scot, um, he probably he would get into these investments. Oh, my Lord. But he also was very charitable. And I, and I know you were talking about This Is Your Life. This is a, a show that, that was airing in the 50s and 60s where they would bring somebody out and they would really kind of walk you through. And your mom would be there and the family and every, everybody who touched your life in some way. And you talked about him playing basketball at the Armory with the Armory Five. They were all there. But it was all about him also giving back to the community. I mean, your dad was a very charitable guy. He, you know, there was an expression I often heard and people would refer to him as having what is it, long arms, short pockets. Um, he was always like that. You know, even my grandmother said it as a kid. He was always like uh, doing something for the orphanage kids. You know, uh, he, he that was just who he was. But I also heard stories from uh, people who have written me over the years saying, I remember as a kid, your dad in Omaha, Nebraska, during the war bond tour, and, and a friend of mine, that he didn't have any money, but if there was any way he could come to his house 
you know, and dad and bud would go to the kid's house and in the backyard for four, for free, wow. you know, for, for these people. Um, wow. So, you know, I, I think that that's the image that I, I like promoting of my dad because that's really who he was. This wasn't somebody who was doing it for the press. He did it because he genuinely loved people. We are talking to Chris Costello, daughter of Lou Costello, on the 75th anniversary of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein and the legacy of this iconic comedy team. We are talking to Chris Costello, daughter of Lou Costello, on the 75th anniversary of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein and the legacy of Bud and Lou. So, Chris, when you were older, do you have memories of being on the set? You know, you said when Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein was was uh, being filmed, you were only one years old. But, I mean, you were around, obviously, for some of those later films. What do you remember about being on the set and seeing your dad working? You know, I know I was on the set. I, I was on the Captain Kidd set. I know I've got some photos of myself with dad on the set. I don't recall that day at all. Um, I was on the set with my cousins for Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. And the only thing I remember was that... Uh, it was a, a real scary set, and I I didn't want to see a mummy. Think about a black and white film. You were sure. mentioning that the sets were just full of color, and like yeah, I would well, imagine. Bud Junior, Bud Junior remembers, for instance, the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein set. He said it was a shame it was never shot in color because the set was so breathtakingly beautiful, wow. you know, in color. Um, but uh, you know, I I remember. I think the, the probably the one film I remember. Being on the set is Stanford McHenry, the last one, because um, uh, there were some extras that were on the Mary Ground. I asked Dad if I could be one of the kids on the Mary Ground, but it knew, knew. And I remember getting so upset, like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> And I know too that you know you you your father and 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 Bud worked worked so well together. They they really did play well off each other. But it, it's been said that your dad had lived a lot. Like you know he was yeah he was always you know kind of schmucking it up on stage to keep that comedy momentum up. They would have people like Bobby Barber yeah. come on the set. They'd have seltzer fights, pie fights. Um, <laughs> You know, they, they just to keep the energy level up uh, to some people, it may have looked like they were being very, um, uh, you know, childish, amateurs, yeah, you know, stuff yeah. like that, childish. No, it's just it was to keep the, the momentum up, the energy. <clears throat> well, I know, you know, they, they obviously, you know, made Dance With Me, Henry, which was their last film in 56, but they went to television, you know, in the early 50s. They were kind of pioneers because mm-hmm. they were some of the first on mm-hmm. television. They went to do uh, uh, the Colgate Comedy Hour. And I know uh, I, I've read about, you know, they were on the Steve Allen show at the time and unbeknownst mm-hmm. to them it was one of their last appearances together. Their Who's On First became a gold record and they were the first non-baseball playing celebrities ever to be inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. That must have been pretty cool. That's true. That's true. Uh, their gold record was given in, is a loan to the Baseball Hall of Fame in, in perpetuity, um, uh, which still hangs, you know, in view of the, the Hall of Fame. Um, but, yeah, they, they were considered the first non-baseball playing celebs ever to be, you know, in quotes, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. What um, what are some of your personal memories of your dad? Like, what are the things that you remember the most? Well, to me, all of my memories are just, it's, it's, it was just, he was such a great dad. You know, he was a very loving dad. He was, um, he and my mom, uh, I think they raised us, uh, you know, it, with um, manners, 
manners were, you know, I mean, that was uh, imperatives, you know, you have manners. Um, he, uh, he was like a kid, you know, at Christmas time, he would take my cousins and myself, and we were, my cousins and I are like a year or two years apart at the most, and we would go to the Tale of the Cock restaurant on Ventura Boulevard, and they would have up on the roof this uh, Santa Claus, you know, on a platform. And we'd get to go and see Santa Claus and this and that. Um, he was just a big kid, you know. It, 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 I mean, there's so many memories. I mean, I'd have to sit down just to retreat every specific memory. Um, but he was, uh, I remember Delmar, him taking me to uh, the clubhouse, you know, at the racetrack when he and Desi would go. And um, I just remember how funny he would be with uh, taking rolls of money, but but he looked like he had a big wad of money, but it was actually he wrapped it around for the cardboard tubings of toilet paper. That's awesome. That's <laughs> I mean, awesome. He's stealing money off, you know. Um, Brilliant. Um, he was just uh, such a, he was fun. He was fun. He just, he had a great sense of humor, but he was, he was very quiet. Actually, in the family, my mother had a killer sense of humor. She was funny. Is that where he got it from? Very, funny. Is that where he got it from? My dad? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He was, he, I mean, he, he was naturally funny. He put a kid in front of a man and he just, you know, full blown out, man. He became Luke Costello, the comic. But uh, at home, he was a little bit more quieter, you know, just quieter. Well, a little bit more of an introvert. Um, but he, he could uh, turn it on instantly. I mean, there, there are so many stories like when he was trying to go on this diet or something and, and at the ranch and walked in and he he was <laughs> leaning up against the counter uh, eating an Italian pepper and meatball sandwich. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and I looked at him and he just, he looked so sheepishly as he was eating the sandwich, but the juice was just rolling down. His, <laughs> his, oh, my God. And he just kept looking at me and just closing his eyes and shaking his head. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I love that. I love that you've kept your your dad's legacy alive in so many ways for really over five decades, and you do it in several different ways. You got a website. You got a Facebook page that you talk about all this. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, the Facebook page or the website? Uh, website first. Okay. Well, the website is a product site uh, okay. for all the Avon Costello product that uh, we have, and uh, that's been about ten years, and uh, we're constantly adding new product. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, they can check us out on Facebook, who's on first, question mark, Abbott and Costello. <clears throat> I can always give the website address to it. Sure, it's Abbott and Costello Collectibles.com. It's uh, Abbott and A&D, Costello Collectibles.com. And we have a lot of who's in first product, and it's all licensed. Um, you know, uh, um, the Facebook I'm having so much fun with because there are so many great people. You know, that I've met through uh, Facebook, it becomes like one big family. And as I said, we're like two away from hitting 5,000. And uh, what I try to do with the Facebook is people will ask questions, and then I'll do a post with photos. And I try and give them as much information as I can. Thank you, Chris. Chris Costello, daughter of Lou Costello. A classic horror radio play coming up next year on 720 WGN.